Here's the question. Voici la question. Je suis très content. I'm very excited today uh, because we've got some great teaching from the Word of God. And so I just want to ask, are you ready to study God's Word today? Okay. Uh, if you want to grab your own Bible today or look it up online, we're going to spend most all of our time today in the book of Philippians in the New Testament. Uh, Philippians, we're going to look at most of the chapters in Philippians in addition to a few other things today. And uh, we are in week four of this series called Relationships from Broken to blessed. And as Nathan mentioned earlier, uh, we started out the series talking about the power of forgiveness and the danger of resentment and the destruction and toxicity that it brings into our lives. Well, today we're going to move into another area of relationships. And I, I, I heard about a pastor who had a lady in the church who was just the most critical thing. And, and one day they were having a church picnic. And uh, he realized all of a sudden that no one had called to personally invite her. And he knew that the general church announcement didn't count. Like if somebody didn't personally talk to her about it, then she was going to get upset. And so he remembered a few hours before the picnic and he picked up the phone and he called her and he said, I am so sorry that you felt left out and that your feelings were hurt, but will you please still come to the picnic anyway? And she said, oh no, pastor, I cannot. She said, it's too late. I have already prayed for rain. <laughs> if she wasn't happy, she didn't want anybody to be happy. Uh, or some of us have people in our lives, like little Susie had. Uh, one night, her parents asked Big Brother if he would say the prayer for the evening meal. And so her brother bowed his head and said, Lord, and please help Susie quit sucking her thumb. And Susie piped up and said, and God, please help my brother to stop reminding me. How many of you have somebody like that in your life who always reminds you of all your faults, someone who always reminds you about all of your problems? And so let me ask you, do you think we need more of those critical complaining people in our lives? Or do you think maybe we need less? Is there anybody here today who would say, you know, I've been praying and saying, Lord, I wish my husband would do a better job at pointing out my faults. <laughs> anybody pray, Lord, I, I wish my wife would tell me more things that I'm doing wrong this week. It's just, it would bless me. Is there anybody who says, Lord, I, I have too many people in my life who encourage me and, 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 and help me. Lord, I just ask, would you, would you spend, send a few more people who will be mean and nasty and make me feel bad about myself? That's all I ask, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Anybody pray that prayer this week? Probably not. Well, the scripture that we're going to look at today and next week could literally be a transforming turning point for our families. Some of you, if, if you were to get a hold of what we're going to talk about today and next week, it could transform your marriage. Some of you, this could be the turning point in your career to help you advance in your job, to advance in your, in your relationships and your success in life. Because God has given Given some very specific instructions on how to deal with criticism, how to take it, and how to give it. I absolutely believe 
that many of our relational problems could begin to, to, to move and shift and rearrange and get worked out if we could get a hold of, of biblically how to appropriately receive criticism and how appropriately to give criticism. And so we're going to get into that more next week. Today, we're going to dive into the book of Philippians. And the next week, we're going to come back and look more deeply at the words of Jesus on this issue. But for today, Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 to 15. And uh, I, I'd like to ask if everybody could read. We have two screens here. We're going to go verse 12 all the way through 15. We're in the 1984 NIV uh, translation at this point, if you're wondering. And... Uh, and you might want to clear your throat because I got a little something in mind. Okay. Are we ready? We're ready to read out loud. Here we go. Philippians 2, verse 12 through 15, the word of the Lord. It says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and act according to his good purpose. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we invite you to speak to us today through your word. As we, your children of God, seek to live lives that are honoring to you, empowered by your spirit. And so, Lord, anything that I might say today that is from your spirit, may it take root in our hearts. And Lord, if anything that I just say today is my own opinion or just foolishness, uh, Lord, we just pray that you would, uh, would snatch that up and, and don't, don't allow me, Lord, to get in the way of what you want to accomplish today. In the name of Jesus, amen. amen. And so look at verse 15 again. First of all, it mentions that we as children of God need to be different from the world around us in some way. And, and what is one of the ways that we need to be different than this? It says, different than this crooked and depraved generation. Well, in order for that to happen, if you look right before that, it says that, that something has to happen in our lives, that we need to become blameless and pure. Now, how do we become blameless and pure? And it doesn't mention it specifically in this particular verse, but when you look throughout not just the book of Philippians, but all of uh, the New Testament and the message of, of the Old and New Testament together, is that we need to be forgiven because we serve a perfect and holy God. And the Bible says that no matter how hard you try on your own, you could never be good enough perfect enough, blameless enough, or pure enough to enter the presence of a holy God. And so that is why Jesus died on the cross 
for us because he is the only one who has ever lived that kind of blameless and perfect, pure life. And so, so you need to know that your salvation and holiness and what makes you different from this crooked and depraved generation in which we live is not just about you trying to be a good person. That your blamelessness and purity is only made possible through the shed blood of Jesus who died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. And he alone can wash us and make us clean and make us blameless and pure. Amen? That is the message of the gospel. That's what all this Jesus stuff is about. But then once we make that decision to commit our lives to Jesus, there are also some decisions that we have to make, some choices and changes that we have to be willing to make in our lives. And that's what we see when we go to the top, to the very beginning of verse 14. I think this might be one of the hardest commands in all of Scripture. Because what does it say? Do everything without complaining. Do everything without what? Do everything without what? Now, if that's what it takes for us to be blameless and pure, then I think we might be in trouble. <laughs> Am I right? Like, how is it even, is it even possible for us to actually live our lives without complaining and arguing? Well, I think that maybe it is possible if we dig into and understand what this might be mean. And so, uh, are you ready? In the Bible, I think we see a difference between a constructive critic versus a constant complainer. Let me say that again. I think in the Bible, there is a difference when you look at the different verses that talk about all of this, that there is a difference between someone who is a constructive critic versus being a constant complainer. For example, Proverbs uh, chapter 15, verse 31 says, He who listens to a life-giving rebuke will be at home among the wise. He who ignores discipline despises himself, but whoever heeds correction gains understanding. And so getting criticized, getting rebuked, being disciplined can actually be good for us at times. And Jesus even said in Matthew 5, and 45, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. And so next week, we're going to get more into this idea of how to handle it when people criticize you and persecute you. But first, today, we're going to talk about being less of a, uh, of a constant complainer and more next week as we get into what it means to be a constructive critic. So let's talk about this. What, what does it mean? Uh, and how do we move out of that, uh, what, what verse 14 says not to be a constant complainer? Number one, here's what I want to suggest. Number one, get honest with God and yourself. Uh, Proverbs 28, verse 13. Could we read this out loud together? This is in the Good News Translation. Proverbs 28, 13 says, You will never succeed in life if you try to hide your sins. Confess them and give them up 
then God will show mercy to you. Now, would you agree that a willingness to confess and give up our sins seems like it is becoming exceedingly rare in our world today? The idea that, that somehow who I am is not just naturally a good person, which is what the world says. That's the, the philosophy of the world, that you're just naturally a good person. Now, I'm not sure what would cause anybody to look at thousands and thousands of years of human history and think that naturally people are good. But that's what our world says today. But the, the Bible says the opposite, that we are naturally born in the, uh, in the descendants of Adam, that we have been born with a naturally depraved sin nature that hungers for the things of the world rather than the things of God, and that we need to be forgiven and transformed, and that the only way that that can begin to happen in our lives, and we begin to, to experience the success that God wants for us, the abundant life that God wants for us, which is not success as the way the world defines it, but the way that God defines it, that the only way is it has to start with this, confession and a willingness to give up the ways of the world. But let me, so let me just be honest for a minute. Some of us here today and some watching online with us here today, if we were to get really honest, and I would say that this has often been true in my life as well, that we can get caught in a cycle of negativity. And we don't even realize that we're doing it. And often I think we wonder, well, why am I not advancing at work? Why, you know, why am I not getting promoted? Why are my relationships going like this? Why am I not finding success in life? And not always, but sometimes maybe the answer is that I have gotten caught in a cycle of negativity. The Bible talks about the, the danger of this, this a complaining and argumentative attitude that we can get into. And so number two, I think part of that is to st stop blaming God and others for your unhappiness. Th there are th three kinds of people, it's been said, in the world. Accusers, excusers, and choosers. Now what's the first one? An accuser. An accuser is someone who always blames others. It's somebody else's fault. Do you remember Adam in Genesis in the Garden of Eden? Adam was an example of an accuser uh, because what happened when Adam messed up? What did he do? He, he took it like a man. He blamed his wife. He said, it's Eve's fault. And then he turned around and looked at God and said, and maybe it's your fault too, because if you hadn't have given me this woman, I wouldn't have sinned in the first place. He was an accuser, right? Next are the excusers. These are people who say, well, I don't know exactly who to blame, but I always know this, it's never my fault. This is, this is the chronic victim. There's always an excuse. But then... There's group three, the choosers. Choosers are people who realize that life is full of choices, and sometimes we make good choices, and sometimes we make bad choices, but ultimately, there is a level of responsibility for our own decisions. And so, the key to refocusing is number three. Focus on what you do have instead of what you don't. 
Let's read together Proverbs 23, verse 17 from the Living Bible. Are you ready? Last time you got a little weak on me, so let's, let's do this one with strength. Okay, here we go. Proverbs 23, 17 says, Don't envy evil men, but continue to reverence the Lord all the time. For surely you have a wonderful future ahead of you. There is hope for you yet. Isn't that good news? I don't care what anybody has said about you. There is hope for you yet. That's good news. But what's the problem that gets in the way of this wonderful future that God has for us? What's the problem? It says don't envy. What is envy? I think envy is this nagging question that we can't get rid of. Envy asks, why can't I have that too? Envy is always asking, looking everywhere, saying, why can't I have that too? I mean, look at all the stuff that person has. Why can't I have that too? Look, look, at, look at the relationships that that person has. Why don't I have that in my life too? Look at, look at the success and the promotion and, and all the things that are happening in that person's life. Why can't I have that too? It's not fair. And here's the trick that Satan uses. Here's what Satan gets us to believe. We begin to think that taking others down will somehow make us feel better because of envy. You know, if I can just take them down a notch, if I can just make them feel a little worse, if I can get people to see, well, you know what, they're not as great as you think they are, that somehow if we can bring them down a little, it will help make us feel better and bring us up. And the result is complaining. We complain in order to try to bring people down a notch. But it doesn't. It doesn't. It's a lie. Here's what happens. Satan uses that to keep us in bondage and to keep us tearing each other down in this world. There was a, a husband, a husband who was just itching to tell his wife all of her problems, all the things that, that irritated him. And so they were sitting in the living room one night and he looked at her and he said, dear do you mind if I take just a moment to share with you some of your more obvious faults? I don't know if he was brave or stupid. And she said, no, go ahead and tell me my faults. She said, I'd like to hear them because it is probably those very faults that prevented me from marrying someone better than you. Okay, yeah, so back to our main passage. Let's get back to the Bible, yes? So Philippians 2.14 says, do everything without complaining. Now, who was it who wrote these words 2,000 years ago? Do you know who wrote this letter to the church? This was a letter that was written to the church in a city called Philippi. Who wrote this? The apostle Paul, exactly. Paul wrote these words. Uh, in this short letter, it's only four chapters and this idea of doing everything without complaining seems to be a theme throughout his letter. Let's go to the last chapter. In chapter 4, beginning in verse 12, he says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content. 
He says there's a, there's a secret that a lot of people have not learned where they think that their happiness is based on their circumstances and whether they have a lot or whether they have a little. But he says, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything who gives me strength. Yet, it was good of you to share in my troubles." His troubles. What is the trouble that, that Paul is going through when he writes this letter? Well, he tells us at the beginning. Let's go back to chapter 1. In verse 12, he says, Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me. So he's about to tell them in the opening chapter what it is that has happened to him that, that's causing this trouble in his life. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has come clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. I'm sorry, what, what? I am in what? In chains. So, so what, what this is telling us is that, that Paul, as he is writing this letter to the church in Philippi, he's telling them, listen, guys, you need to stop your complaining. You need to stop your arguing and your grumbling and, and, and stop being like the people in your community, like everybody else, that there needs to be something different about you as, as children of God. And then he says, you know, I've learned the secret of being content, whether things are good or bad in my life. And, and, he, and he, he's telling them all these things while he is sitting where? He is in a prison chained to a wall. And why is he in jail? The government did not like him telling people about Jesus. And he goes on in, in the next verse, in verse 14, to say, but because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. I look at this and I wonder, this is kind of odd, right? Like he gets arrested and put in jail and chained up because he's sharing the gospel of Jesus. You would think that would make people more fearful, not more courageous. But I wonder sometimes because it's been so easy to be a Christian in our culture in the West, in the United States and Canada, until most recently where the culture is starting to change and it's becoming more and more hard to be a Christian. I think because it's been so easy for us, we have crumpled whenever we have the slightest bit of resistance. But back then, when it was illegal to be a Christian, the very act of being persecuted by the world made them rise up in strength with courage. He said, because of my chains, my brothers and sisters in Christ are speaking the word of God even more courageously and more fearlessly. And so for Paul, instead of complaining about his problems, instead of complaining about his persecution, Paul instead points to all the good things that are coming out of his suffering. And then Paul says, even if they do kill me, it's not a big deal. Verse 21, he says, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. In other words, listen to me. Listen to me, friends. For a Christian, death is not a defeat. For a Christian, death is not 
a defeat. You need to understand that death is not a sign that somehow God has failed you. Paul says for a Christian, if we keep living, then we get to share Jesus with more people. That's great. And if we die, we go to heaven. That's even better. Either way, we win. Amen? And so Paul continues into chapter 2. Look at what he says in chapter 2, verse 1. He says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of, and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others." And so next week, we're going to dig into this idea more of, of how to lovingly receive criticism from others and how to lovingly give criticism to others. But this brings us right back around as we continue down through chapter 2, right back to where we started today in verse 14. And we've been using the 1984 translation of the NIV, but in the, more, in the newer translation, they've chosen a couple of different words to try to get into what the original Greek text says here in this verse. And I, and I think there's something significant in helping us understand what the original Greek says. We're here in verse 14. Paul, this prisoner of the gospel, this man who gave his life for the message of Jesus, this man who was arrested and beaten, chained and imprisoned, and then he turns around to you and to me, and he says these words, whatever you do, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. You will shine like what? You will shine among them like stars in the sky. Like stars in the sky. Paul says when you live like this, there's going to be a difference about you. You're going to stand out from the crowd. <laughs> and when people begin to ask you, hey, what is this difference? Why, why are you shining like a, like a star in the midnight sky? Why are you different from your family? Why are you different from the people around you at work and at school? Why are you different from this world where, where people seem to be complaining and mean and angry and critical and tearing other people down? And you can say back, oh, I am so glad that you asked. Let me tell you what the difference is. The difference is because one day I gave my life to Jesus when I confessed my sin and I trusted in him and ever since that day I, the Holy Spirit has begun working inside of me and I've been studying his word I've been I've been getting into this book and it's it's correcting my thinking and and shaping my living and I've been growing spiritually and I've, I've been changing and transforming as I begin to trust Jesus more and more and more in my life and so next time you hear Rihanna sing, shine bright like a diamond, 
shine bright like a diamond. You and I were like diamonds in the sky. I don't think she was talking about Jesus, but she should have been. Because the Bible says that is what you and I become when we stand out from this world and begin to let the light of Jesus shine through us like diamonds in the sky as we hold firmly to this, the word of life. Let's stand together. Let's stand together.